Well, good morning, and thank you, Monica, for uh, reciting for us what we're learning as a church. I hope you've taken up the challenge to begin memorizing Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 2, where it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And I hope you're also working to memorize our list of commandments so that we can put them to memory, what the Lord desires uh, from us. With that first commandment, we hear, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second commandment reminds us about worship when he says, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And today we add to that the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now the question is, why are we memorizing Exodus chapter 20 verse 2? where God says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The reason why we're memorizing that, and I want to constantly remind you of this, is simply that the laws of God given to the nation of Israel followed the grace of God. The setting for the Ten Commandments is found in the mercy of God. He delivered them out of slavery of Egypt. He rescued them not because they merited it, not because they had some reason to pay for it or deserved it, but simply out of his mercy and covenant love for the nation of Israel. And after he rescues them, after he saves them, after he enters a relationship with them, he comes down from Mount Sinai and he speaks to them. And he says, now that we're in relationship, now that you've experienced my grace, here's how I want you to live. Well, brothers and sisters, those of us who have come to Christ, who confess Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have experienced His saving grace. We know that He has saved us, not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, not because somehow we wielded His will towards us, but simply because He has loved us by His grace. And so our law, our response, our behavior is simply a response to His grace. So it's important for us to circle back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, over and over and over, reminding ourselves we do not keep the Ten Commandments in order to gain God's love. We keep the Ten Commandments in order to respond to God's love. So I want you to take up the challenge to memorize Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, and, and our quick reference list of commandments. You can find them at our website that we're learning them together as a church. And just like Monica did a few minutes ago, if you have them memorized, if you want to share them with us on social media, or you want to send them to us at the church office, we would love to have more of you showing how you're learning God's Word. Now this morning, we come to the third Commandment, the third commandment, the one about the Lord's name, the one that says we, we are not to take the Lord God's name in vain. This one that lifts our eyes to this idea of how hallowed his name is. And we find this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Let me read to you the first seven verses just to get ourselves back into the, the setting of the Ten Commandments, to find ourselves back into where, where Moses and the nation of Israel met God at the bottom of the mountain and heard His voice. Let us read together Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 7. And as we read it, let us think about verse 7 and this idea that, that God is holding His name up in front of us. And that we hear in this commandment that we are to take serious how we approach the name of God. That God is not trifling with His name. That He's not uh, uh, just uh, overlooking how we approach His name. That He cares deeply about His name in front of us and in front of the world. And so let us weigh ourselves against this commandment and how we approach God. The name above all names. 
Let us see together in the passage. I'll begin in verse 1 just to remind you of where we are. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the card image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation for those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, verse 7, our commandment for the day. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we open your word and we see again your commandments, Lord, I pray that we would lay our lives before your word and that your spirit would work in us and that we would, we would be reminded again what you are demanding from your people. Not, Father, demanding it so that we may gain your love, but demanding it in response to your love. That you have been good to us. That through Christ Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, those who have confessed him as Lord have been, have been granted a favor and, and adoption into your family. And Lord, now we want to honor you. We want to live by your family rules. We want to we confess with our mouth and in our lives who you are and how we love you. We thank you that in these commandments, you've told us exactly what you desire from your people. That you are a God who gives us what you want. That we know that there's no question here, and so help us. Let us lay our lives against your word and examine us. Weigh us on the scale, Father. And, and if there be any part of us that's unpleasing to you, if there be any part of us that's in, in rebellion to your commandment, then Lord, convict us. Forgive us. Conform us. Shape us. Teach us. Help us, Lord, to do what is pleasing in your sight. Father, we want to do as Jesus commanded. We want to love you by obeying your commandments. And so help us, Father, to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wendy and I have the privilege and the honor of being the parents of three children. And with today being Mother's Day, we celebrate the idea of the gift of, of children, which makes us parents, the blessing of God. And, and one of the neat things that parents do is, is they're given the authority to name their children. They get to declare what this person will be called. Now, when Wendy and I were naming our three children, it was quite an adventure. It was joyful and stressful altogether. We buy books of names, and we read, and we read, and, and we looked on the internet searches of what are the most popular names, and what names have been used, and we, we looked through our family tree to find names we liked, or, or those we wanted to avoid. We, we thought about what nickname a name might be given to our kid if we gave them this name, or, or that name, and and, and with each naming of our child, there's a sense of, of wonder and awe. And, and I remember, you know, when, when my first son was born, Cade, and, and I hold him in my arms and I tell him, you are Jonathan Cade Horton. This is your name. You're, you're part of our family. Or, or when, when Emma was born and, and we got to name, we named her Emma Elizabeth using a family name. And, and when Addie was born, we named her Addison Ryan and using again a family name. And, and with each one of those, we, we have this authority to say to this child, this is your name. Now with that picture in mind, with a picture of me or, or maybe you holding your son or daughter or niece or nephew or grandchild and 
And, and you realize that this child, this baby, is not getting to pick its own name. It's not getting to choose its name. Its name is bestowed upon it. There's a, there's a sense of authority in the parents to give the child the name. With that picture in mind, I, I want you to think about God for a moment. Think about how different he is than you and me. Because brothers and sisters, there is nobody in heaven that held God in their arms and said, we'll call you God. We'll give you the name Yahweh. No one gave God his name. He alone has the authority to have his name. And it is with this picture that I, I just want to give you two observations before we dive in. One, observation number one is simply this. It is this idea here. It is this thought here that we know the name of God because God has given it to us. God has disclosed his name. He has shared with us who he is. No one named him. No one is over him. No one has authority to tell him what to do. And yet God gives us his name. And when he gives us his name, we understand that he's giving us more than letters on a page. For every time we find the name of God in Scripture, we find more of his character and his being, his promises, his theology, his doctrine, his actions are tied to his name. As we roll through Scripture, we find in the early part of the book of Exodus that God meets Moses at the burning bush, and Moses says, who are you? And God says, I am, which translates out to literally, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, declaring for us that this Yahweh God is sovereign and all-powerful and sufficient, and there is no one over him. And then we trace his name through Scripture. And we find that his name becomes the shield. It becomes the lily of the valley, the holy of holies. It becomes the name in which salvation is born. It becomes a name of protection and refuge and wrath and judgment. Every time we find the name of God in Scripture, we see more and more and more of who he is. And the beautiful, wonderful thing about the name of God as we approach it this morning is simply this. We know his name because he desired to tell us. He desired to approach the people of earth and say, this is who I am. and This is how I want you to know me. And with his name, we find love and mercy and compassion. As we approach the name of God, let us remember that we only know it because he's revealed it to us. No one stands in authority over him. But a second observation I want to make about this commandment before we dive into it is simply this. Not only do we see that, that God is the one who revealed his name to us, that no one stands over him, no one named him, we also see in this commandment, if we're not careful, we see uh, that, that God is not prohibiting us from his name. In fact, the proper name of God found in the Old Testament is Yahweh. It is uh, letters described in Hebrew, <coughs> excuse me, and, and, and 7,000 times in the Old Testament, we find the name of the Lord or Yahweh or Elohim translated throughout the Old Testament. Over and over and over and over, the name of God is written down in Scripture. And over and over and over, God interacts with his people, declaring his name, sharing his name, making sure they know his name. So, so let's be very clear about something. As we see this prohibition about how we are to approach the name of God, let us be very clear, God is thankful and he is welcoming and he desires us to know his name, use his name, and come under the banner of his name. What he commands here is not, not the use of his name, but the misuse of his name. And so let us understand that the beautiful thing about this commandment is simply this, God has revealed himself to us and God desires that we know him. We, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, through the name of God, 
get to meet God. What a, what a wonderful thing for us. We get to meet God. We get to call on God. We get to speak to God. We get to say His name. The Holy of Holies lets us come to Him. What a marvelous gift. And so now we have this background in our mind of God revealing His name to us. Now, let us again look at the text. And I want to show you just uh, two main ideas from the text and then some, some, some application along the way. So, so the first thing I want you to see is simply the command to follow. There's a command to follow. The verse breaks into two parts very clearly. If you look at verse 7, the first part is simply this. You shall not take the, Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain. There's the command. There's the prohibition. There's the don't do this. You shall not. Thou shalt not. Don't do this. And then the second part is after the comma, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And we'll get to that in a moment, but there's a, there's a promise or a warning or a threat of punishment that goes along with it. But the first thing I want you to see is simply a command to follow. Now notice in your Bible, the Bible says here uh, that you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. The Hebrew phrase literally means you shall not lift up God's name to worthlessness or emptiness. You shall not lift his name up to something that is not worthy of who he is. You shall not lay his name or his title on something that amounts to nothing when God is the all in all. And so it's literally this idea of don't pair his name with anything that equates to nothingness or emptiness or brokenness or sinfulness or fallenness because his name alone is to be with holy and justice and righteous. It's this idea of lifting up his name in a false or wrong way. Now, what does this mean for us? How do we take the Lord's name in vain? Well, this morning, I want to give you, I think, four ways in which we take the Lord's name in vain. Four ways that we need to heed following this command. The first way I want you to see is simply this. We take the Lord's name in vain with a phony confession. Now, Now, let me say up front that this commandment is very broad. Do not lift the Lord's name up to emptiness, which means don't pair his name with anything that's not worthy of who he is. So this encompasses everything that we do, think, say, believe, uh, that we are not to pair his name with brokenness. Now, in the command, there are some specific clear things that we learn through the rest of the Old Testament that we'll get to in a moment. But, but basically, the idea here is, is that we are not to pair God's name with anything that is false When it comes to his name, I'm thinking about a math equation. You learn in math that the equal sign tells you that whatever is on this side of the equation is equal to this side of the equation. So if you have two plus two on this side of the equal sign and and four on this side of the equal sign, then then that is a true statement. It is true. And so what what the commandment is telling us is whatever we put on this side and we attach God's name to it, then it must be equal to who he actually is that the scripture proclaims. And if we attach his name to anything on this side that is not equal to him, then we have broken the commandment. And so the first way in which we break the commandment is with a phony confession. What do I mean by this? I simply mean this, brothers and sisters, if we are to confess Christ with our mouth and then live a life that does not show that we are following Jesus Christ, live a life of of hypocrisy, live a life of phoniness, then we are taking the Lord's name in vain. We are taking the Lord's name and attaching to something that is not true. We are giving it a quality that is not right. And so we find in the text uh, that to take the Lord's name in vain is to say one thing with our mouth and live a different way. 
Too often, Christians decide that they are identified with Christ by repeating a prayer or attending a church or being baptized. And yet, the rest of their day, the rest of their life, the rest of their week, they do not look to uh, give honor to God. They do not show God in their lifestyle, in their language, uh, in their dreams, in their hopes, in their finances, in their desires, in the following of his commandments. And so with their mouth, they proclaim God in one way, and with their life, they proclaim it differently. This is to take the Lord's name in vain. This is to attach the Lord's name to your life and yet not live a life that equals one who is called by God. To be a Christian is to bear the name of Christ, to be under the banner of God, to declare that we are his family, that we sit under his name, that he is our king and our Lord, that he is over us. And so for me to declare that I'm with Christ and then live in an opposite way is to bring vain, is to lift up the the name of God in vain and is to bring worthlessness to his name. How do we do this? Brothers and sisters, we do this by by declaring that we're with Christ and then openly, without repentance, living in sin and opposite of what God says. This, This doesn't mean that we're not going to sin. It doesn't mean that we're not going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we aren't in constant need of grace and forgiveness and confession. But, but for those who say, I'm with Christ, and then openly, without repentance, live in rebellion of the word of God, you are taking the Lord's name in vain. You are running with the Lord's name in a way in which is not equal to his worth and who he is. This can be seen in, in living in sin to being in direct disobedience from the Scripture. It can be seen in the way in which we love the church or or not love the church. We can can confess, "I'm, I'm with the Lord, I love the Lord, and yet have no time for His people or the gathering of the saints. This is to take the Lord's name in vain. You proclaim that you're with Christ, and yet you live a life that does not connect with His name. This is to take His name in vain. We should also understand that in the collection of the congregation of the church, we must be mindful of that we cannot stand for God's name to be taken in vain. If the church allows sin to run rampant, if the church overlooks sin, if the gathering of the saints do not hold one another accountable, then collectively we are taking the Lord's name in vain through this phony hypocrisy of confessing one thing and living another. Too often we see congregations make light of sin. We see denominations make light of sin. They turn from the ways of God and with their mouth they confess Him and with their life they rebuke Him and this is to take the Lord's name in vain. So there is one way we do this. We do it through a phony confession. The second idea from the text, and one that's, that's certainly drawn clearer from this passage in the context of the Old Testament, is simply this. One of the ways we take the Lord's name in vain is not only a phony confession, but a desire for personal gain. A desire for personal gain. Let me show you what I mean. In the text, it says, you shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. Now, the clear understanding of this in the Old Testament is the idea of using the Lord's name and attaching it to some oath or some promise in order to strengthen your words. It is to use the Lord's name in order to strengthen your promise and yet have no desire to actually keep your word. It is to bind Christ in your way. If you think about it this way, we are a people who constantly battle lying. We tell lies, we break contracts, we go against our word, we don't follow the, in, the employee handbook we signed to agree when we were hired, we don't follow the laws, we, we break them here or there, and so our word becomes diluted. And one of the ways in which we try to strengthen our word is by calling on the name of the Lord. You might hear someone say, and 
And, 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 and this is a grievous thing, but you might hear someone say, I swear by God. And they are bringing this oath. They're trying to give some weight to their words. Unfortunately, too often we use those phrases of promise and we are too flippant with the words of the Lord and we have no intention of keeping our contract and we take the Lord's name in vain. One of the most obvious ways in which this is done in our not only in our society, but in our churches, is simply in the marriage vows. How often have we seen two who confess to be with Christ stand in front of a church and say, I, I promise in the sight of the Lord and these witnesses till death do us part, not only uh, declaring it, but bringing the Lord into the worship service of marriage, saying this will be the vow we keep forever to just a few years down the road, divorcing and separating and running loose, taking the name of God in vain. Brothers and sisters, when we add God's name to an oath and we break that oath, we have taken the Lord's name in vain. This is why Jesus would be so adamant in the New Testament when he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Do not swear by oaths. Do not bring God's name into this. Don't sully him down into your frivolous promises that you, don't prompt, you intend to keep. Don't do that. We do this by personal gain. Another way we do this by personal gain is not only the idea of half-truths or oaths, but we do it by personal gain by attaching God's name to our plans and our desires. This is the one I think that we should wrestle with probably most in this idea, and that's simply this. We too often in the Christian faith decide on an opinion or an idea, and then we believe that God is on our side, and so we attach God to our opinion or our idea in order to give our opinion, our idea, our desires, our wants some weight. You might ask yourself, well, how do we do this? How often have we heard someone say, well, God told me. Now, brothers and sisters, anytime someone stands up and says, God told me, we should be cautious. Yes, the Lord speaks to us through his word. Yes, the Lord speaks to us through the inner work of the Holy Spirit. But the audible voice of God is far from heard when we have his scripture in front of us. And yet what often happens is when we have an opinion, when we have an unction, when we have a desire, when we have a want, when we have a plan, when we want the others to think that our way is right, we will somehow attach God to that and say, well, God told me this way. And we find ourselves on very, very shaky ground, especially when this leads us to sin. Not long into pastoring Elkdale, there was a lady in the community, not a member of our church, but she had been working her way through pastors in the community looking for advice, and she made her way into my office, and she sat down, and she wanted me to bless her divorce. And so I began to ask her questions, certainly questions that need to be asked when someone is contemplating divorce. Has there been unfaithfulness? Has there been abuse? Are you in danger? Is there problems? And, and ultimately, her answer to me was simply this, I don't think God wants me to be unhappy. And I'm just unhappy in my marriage. And so I believe her words that God is okay. God is with me on wanting me to be happy. Therefore, I think it's okay for me to leave my marriage vow. Brothers and sisters, that is taking the name of the Lord, slapping it onto our opinion, and declaring we are doing the right thing thing. We see this. We see this every four years in the election cycle. Every Democrat running for office says God bless America and believes that their platform is the one God has endorsed. And every Republican on the other side does the exact same thing. And both are determined to show you how one is against God and one is for God in order to pander to our vote, in order to pander to the voters. And they somehow slap God's name on their platform thinking now it has validation and it is for personal 
gain. We see this in the church. We see charlatans from pulpits to pulpits stand and proclaim a false gospel, a twisted gospel, in order to gain from his listeners a crowd, a book deal, a sale, more money to line their pockets. Some of the most richest uh, pastors in all of America and the world are those that are peddling a gospel that will lead people directly to hell. Why? Because we slap God's name on it and we declare it to be right in order to gain something. Brothers and sisters, God is not to be manipulated with our opinions and our desires in order to declare that somehow we are right with him when we put his name on what we want. Let us tread lightly when we start to bring God's name into our desires. Philip Rankin would put it this way. He would say, his name has been used to endorse everything from the Crusades to slave trade, from political parties to social causes, and the results are almost always disastrous. We can look back over our history And we can see where God's name was tagged on the things that were an abomination or sinful because those who who thought they were right decided that God must endorse their opinion. Brothers and sisters, we take the Lord's name in vain. Not only when we make phony confessions with our life, but when we use them for personal gain, when we try to twist the Lord by gaining something. Thirdly, we take the Lord's name in vain when we are with a careless attitude. This one is one that that has been searching my heart this week as I've studied and read this text, this idea of a careless attitude towards God. This may be more subtle in our lives, but yet more prevalent, more, more around every corner, if you will, of our heart. And I believe it to be maybe the most dangerous uh, that we come across. Um, And so we find this idea of, of us just being careless towards the name of God. Now, remember, when we think about the name of God, we're not we're not talking about letters on a page. We're talking about his character and who he is and and attaching his divineness to what we are doing. We're talking about what he's revealed to us in his name. And so when we're careless towards his name, it comes out in many ways. One way we're careless is just in our everyday language. We yell, oh my God, or type OMG without even thinking about invoking his name in our everyday conversation. We print in some cliche t-shirts that say Jesus is my homeboy or bumper stickers that say God is my co-pilot, not once thinking about the holiness of his name and who he is. God is not our therapist or our friend or our co-pilot or our homeboy. God is Jehovah God over all things. We must not be careless in our language towards him. We must not add his name as an exclamation point when we stump our toe walking down the hallway. This is the God of all creation we are speaking of. Not just some butt of a joke we told at the water cooler. God's name is to not be used careless in our language. We shouldn't do it in our lifestyle. How often do we run quickly into our prayer, run quickly into our morning devotion, and then move on about our day? How often do we scream and yell and run and collide and then somehow plop down at the table for dinner and rattle off a routine prayer and keep moving in our lifestyle? We make it careless. We approach his name like it's no big deal. Like we're running in and out. In the church, we can do this in worship. Oh, brothers and sisters, how often can we go through the routine and the ritual of worship and not think once about the fact that we are walking into the presence of God? We think when we show up to worship, we're somehow inviting God to be our guest instead of realizing that we are humbly coming before the Holy of Holies to worship Him, for He is good and merciful and over all things. How we, even in church, can read over the Scripture 
can walk in and not pay attention to carelessly mum the words of the song in routine without letting them soak into our heart or rattle off the cliche prayers we've learned and said over and over and over and over and not once taking thought with our cold heart or our glazed over eyes that we are speaking of to the Lord of Lords. We can be careless with His name and this will take His name in vain. We should not do this towards the Lord's name not coming casually towards Him. We should approach Him with all of the wonder and ways in which He desires. We should lift up His name in speech, being careful that everyday busy routine is not an opportunity to sin with the looseness of our lips. Carelessness and it will cause us to see God as normal when we hear the words of Jesus. When, when the disciples said, how should we pray? What did Jesus begin with? And this is how you pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You don't just run into the presence of God. You don't just throw out his name. You don't just make him the butt of your joke. You don't just scream it when you stump his toe. You don't just go through the motions of worship. You walk in front of the God who speaks. You remind yourself that this is holy God I am approaching. When I wake in the morning and and pour my cup of coffee and open my Bible and begin to read, I'm approaching the name above all names. When I throw my kids in the car and I, and I rush to church and I, I ramble in and, and I look and wonder if they're going to sing my favorite song or if the sermon's going to be any good or if the, if, the, if the building air conditioner is right or if the coffee's hot. When I got all of these things stirring in my mind, when I've sinned all through Saturday and not thought once about walking into worship on Sunday and I forget that I'm coming in front of the name above all names. Brothers and sisters, We take the Lord's name in vain when we have a careless attitude towards who he is, what he's revealed, and what his name means to us. Now, this final one, I got to give you a confession before I reveal it to you. My confession on this final one is, is I've taken liberty with it. That the text here is a prohibition about how to misuse the name of God that we are not to somehow swear by God, bringing him into our oaths, that we are not to somehow confess him with our lips, but deny him with our lifestyle, that we are not somehow to be casual in our worship as, as the prophet Isaiah would hear from God. I don't want your bulls anymore. Don't sacrifice anything. You got sin on your hands. This, this is a filthy worship. Don't come in here with that routine if your heart's not ready. And so we, we, we've, we've covered all of those and those are clearly in this text and this command from the Old Testament. But this last one, I think, comes from this idea that that 7,000 times in the Old Testament, God's name is given. And then in the New Testament, we hear the name of Christ over and over and over. And Jesus comes on the scene and reveals God to himself, declaring he is the Messiah, the Christ. And so I believe in this last one, I have liberty to say that, that one of the ways we take the Lord's name in vain is not just with a phony confession or a desire for personal gain or with, or with this idea of a casual attitude, but one of the ways we take the Lord's name in vain is simply this, with a lack of zeal. A lack of zeal. We don't care about proclaiming the name that is the name above all names. One of the ways in which I take the Lord's name in vain is I don't realize the worth that his name has. Let let, let me me see if if I can help you here understand this. And that's simply this. When we hear Jesus's final instructions 
as he's being ascended into heaven, waiting there now at the Father's right hand to return, his final destructions to his disciples, uh, found in Matthew chapter 28, found in Acts 1-8, is simply this. You will go and make disciples. You will teach them. You will instruct them. And you will baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The triune God, the name of God is what you will give the people. And at the name of God, people will be saved. The blind will see, the lame will walk, the weary will find rest, the weak will find strength, the hurting will find comfort at the name of God. And when you and I who have that precious name, who know that precious name, and we don't share it and we don't proclaim it, then we are taking the name of God in vain because it is worthy to be lifted up and yet we lift it to worthlessness. We do nothing with it. When Jesus came on the scene in the New Testament, he is the very embodiment of the name of God. He is every quality of the law, every conduct of God. He is the name of God in the flesh. And in fact, when Jesus is asked, who are you and where you came from? He echoes all the way back to Exodus chapter three, where Moses hears from God at the burning bush, you tell Pharaoh, I am. And Jesus says before Abraham, I am. He is taking on the name of God. He knows it's rightfully his. He is the savior, the son of God, God in the flesh come to rescue us. And what do we know about this name? We know that at the name of Christ in Acts chapter 4, man shall be saved. We know in Romans 10 13 that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. We know in Philippians chapter 3 that there is coming a day where every knee will bow and every tongue confess. At the name of the Lord, we know what John would write in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things so that you may believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, yes, we take the Lord's name in vain when, we, when we're careless with it and when we use it in everyday language like it's no big deal, when we think we're over God, when we tie into our oaths, when we try to gain things from His name. Yes, we take His name in vain when we do that, but how much more do we take it in vain when we hold it in instead of proclaim it to the world who needs to hear it? What a mockery we make of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ when we know that that very name will rescue our neighbor and our spouse and our coworker and our friend from the pits of hell and the slavery of sin and the shackles of Satan if they just would call on the name of Jesus. And yet, we hold it in. We tie it to all the worthless things we want to do in life instead of giving it the worth that it deserves and proclaiming it to the nations. Brothers and sisters, let us not take the Lord's name in vain by having a lack of zeal. We see in the text a command to follow, and then finally we see a caution to heed. There's not a lot to say here, but it needs to be said, so let us be clear with it. Verse 7, look at the second part with me. After the comma, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You don't get off the hook for making a mockery of God's name. You don't get to say it however you want to say it. You don't get to tie it to your desires. You don't get to pin it to your political platform. You don't get to declare, God told me, so you must do this. You, you don't get to hold it like a, like a treasure that you never share. You, you don't get to do those things and not be held accountable. God will not let his name be besert, besmirched. It will not let his name be sullied. He will not let his name go without being defended. His holiness is at stake, and his name is the representation of his very character, and he will not let it be mocked. And so he will hold them accountable. 
In fact, even in the Old Testament, it was such an an offense to blaspheme the name of the Lord, to take it in vain, to swear by it and to break it or to make a mockery of it, that the Old Testament law reads like this in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. If you make a mockery of the name of the Lord, you make a mockery of God, you make a poor witness to the world, and you will be held accountable. Now we know in the New Testament we do not stone for the law, but we find even in the words of Paul in the book of Corinthians that those who go against the word of the Lord, who blaspheme the Lord, should be put out from the church. That it's such a grievous thing to blaspheme the Lord, to go against his name, that you should be cut off from the congregation. God will not stand by and let people make a mockery of his name because his name is salvation to people. And when we sully it, we bring dishonor to that glory. And so what should you do? Well, let me just quickly give you three thoughts and we'll close. The first one is simply this. Brother or sister, if you do not know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you must call on Christ. Because the name in which God has bestowed for people to be saved, to be rescued, to know him and to honor him is Christ Jesus. I quoted some for you earlier in Acts chapter 4. It is said that no other name given among men, that which you can be saved, but Christ Jesus. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, which is Christ Jesus, shall be saved. The context is simply this. God has bestowed on his only son the name of salvation, his very name, God in the flesh. So if you don't want to go against God, if you don't want to blaspheme God, if you don't want to take his name in vain, if you want to make sure you're not held accountable for all of the times that you've besmirched the name of God in your actions and in your sin, then you must come to Christ. You must confess Christ. And secondly, for those of you who say, well, I know Christ, I've confessed Christ, I believe him, I'm a Christian, I'm under the name of of Christ, I'm I'm in the family, I, I have the name of God, the banner over me, then simply this, there's not only here a call to come to Christ, but there's a call to obey the command. Do what it says. Jesus tells us in the New Testament, if you love me, obey me. And so the command is clear. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't say one thing with your mouth and live differently with your life. Don't declare God has told you just so you can have your way. Don't swear by God. Don't be careless with God. Don't let his name become such a verbiage in your mouth that it becomes as as simple as talking about the weather or, or football or your garden. This is the God of all creation. And oh, brothers and sisters, don't let the routine of worship become so stale in your heart But somehow, even gathering with the church, you have lost the sight of seeing God. Years ago, I had the privilege of visiting Israel, taking a tour of the Holy Lands. And we were in a village outside of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. And and there is there a a synagogue that was unearthed, and archaeologists are digging it up, a a first century uh, or later Jewish synagogue. And, and one of the things you notice in the synagogue is that the stairs going into the synagogue, the, the steps, were extremely uneven and unplanned. One step would be very tall, and then the next one might be very skinny. One would be very deep, uh, and then one would be very shallow. And they were very odd steps, very hard to walk up if you were not focused and paying attention. And archaeologists believe that it was designed this way. That it was designed this way and so that when a Jewish worshiper walked into the synagogue, there was no possible way they could hurry. They would have to slow down and mind their steps so that they did not trip when they went in and when they came out. 
And the idea behind building it this way is that you are about to walk into the corporate worship of the gathering of God's people. Be slow. Be intentional. Prepare your heart. Don't rush in. Don't rush out. Don't be careless. Brothers and sisters, obey the command. Be intentional. What's the best way to sum this up? Well, I think the Apostle Paul does it for us. I think he sums it up in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, where he tells us that everything we do in our life should be to bring honor to the name of God. Here's what it says, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you do with your hands, whatever you do with your heart, whatever you do with worship, Whatever you do with your time, whatever you do with your actions, whatever you do with your relationships, whatever you do with your wallet, whatever you do with your commitments, do them to honor the name of the Lord. Bring honor to His name. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, we thank You that this verse is not any longer for uh, one sermon on one verse and we still have so much more to understand. So thank you, Lord, that you made it succinct and set so that our our finite minds could even begin to wrap around it. And Lord God, I pray right now that you would begin to convict us over how careless we are towards your name, how flippant we are when it comes to worship and and our our quiet times and our prayer and and even our language, Lord. Father, I, I believe and I'm and I'm, I'm assured that many who watch this video are not prone to, to just filthy language. They're not prone to add God to curse words. They're not, they're not prone to just rattle off at the mouth, though some are, and, and conviction is necessary and confession is needed. But, but Lord, many of us, all of us are prone to throw your name into our plans, thinking somehow we've heard from you and you've blessed them. Where all of us are, are, are prone to throw your name around in worship, not even giving one thought to our own heart, or our own sin, our own desire to lift your name. All of us rush to the dinner table and rattle off a prayer without once thinking we are, we are approaching the name above all names. Lord God, remind us through this commandment that you are our Father in heaven and hallowed be your name. We ask this in Jesus' name.